Do you like pilots? Do you hate pilots? Are you indifferent to pilots? Have you ever met a pilot? Have you ever flown your own plane? They get uploaded. They're uploaded to YouTube. They're all on YouTube. They're right there, just for you. They're for free. Nobody's watching them. Why would you watch them? But guess what? There's two people that love to watch them. It's Stuart and Joe. We watch them so you don't have to. We're putting in the work. We've got cow people. We've got reincarnated dogs. We've got wizard superheroes. We've got extremely short private investigators. Hobo probate law. (laughs) We've got a dog with the brain of a man. And a man with the brain of a dog. We tell you not only what happens, why it happened, who it happened to, what happened after. And why it stinks. So come watch Piloting Error. People don't watch it. Come stand behind me in my basement while we make the show. Could you bring me another beer? What's the network? Only on the Bridge Burner Collective. Wherever find podcasts. Wherever you're getting your podcasts. Hello, Bill and Rob's listeners. This is Rob here. And I wanted to give you an update before we started this episode that... In the middle of this recording, my microphone came unplugged. So we had to use the Zoom audio for this episode. Doesn't sound bad, just sounds a little different. And I wanted to give you a heads up ahead of time. So here we are. It's a fun episode. I hope you enjoy it. And remember, you can support this show by clicking any of the links in the show notes. It'll help us buy a whole lot of microphone cord protectors so that we can fuse them on with our magical Fantastic Four space powers and never have this problem again. But if you can't help us with those magical cord protectors, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now on with today's episode. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I am Rob Schulte. That was a dramatic pause, Bill, because I've had a dramatic, dramatic week. Wow, who would have believed it? A man who lives in the hotbed of Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, one of the calmest places in the entire known universe. What could possibly have gotten to be such a big deal for you this week, Rob's? Well, besides having to take the dog to the doctor, which is always, always, always an adventure, right? The king is well? The king is fine. Good. You know, sometimes you just got to get him a checkup. Sometimes they're like, "Mm, I'm just going to, you know, be very particular this week. But he's fine. The king is well. Good. Uh, Good. He's still throwing his scarves to the audience. It's perfectly great. But yeah, Bill, I... An interesting Hollywood meeting this week. 
And I know what you're thinking, Bill. And I know what everyone listening is thinking as well. They're like, are you finally getting a television show based off of Bill and Rob's excellent adventure? And unfortunately, that's not what this meeting was. I'm sure people are still talking about that in boardrooms across America. But this meeting Undoubtedly. Was yeah. We've missed uh, our chance to sell out? No, say it's not so. I know, I know. We haven't missed a thing, Bill, because this person wanted to talk to me about Patreon. Oh. Someone who works at Patreon, and I have no qualms with Patreon, right? Like, I think it's right. that's, that's a very valid way to make a living, especially as a podcaster. Plenty of podcasts are very successful. We are... We're still in our infancy. We might be in season two, but, you know, we, we're still within year one, you know? Right. And we made a choice at the beginning, and I'll get back to the Patreon meeting in just a second, but we did make a conscious choice that we didn't want our financing of this show to be based on a subscription model. Correct. And that's because... There are times where we go on break between seasons and it would feel weird charging someone if we didn't have an episode out that week. Right. We agreed on that. And also we had the overall philosophy of we're kind of going to do this old school and we're going to do the product and prove whether we're good at it or not. And if everybody likes it, then we might look at things down the road as far as financing, but we're kind of doing it like the old TV shows. You put the show out, the show gets ratings and everybody likes it. You keep going and we could always have that as an option down there, but we wanted to have fun and not make it a burden on anybody. Lord knows we've all got enough subscription plans right now, more than anybody really needs if we really look at it. And we did not want to be one more. We wanted people to listen to this show and the best way to do that is just give it to them and, Hopefully, if they like it, they support us back. So that's, like you said, I have nothing against Patreon. That clearly is an infrastructure that works for a lot of people. It's great. It's preset. It just didn't fit within the realm of what we wanted to do with this show. Well, and to be fair, it, there would be an ultimate amount of hubris for us to start a podcast and a Patreon at the exact same time before Correct. knowing how many downloads we're getting. Absolutely. I've never seen one of these projects take off where the people that I've watched or listened to have started out the gate with the Patreon model. They've usually one, they wanted to kind of see if they wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. And because Patreon is a commitment, it's not just a service. And we didn't want to get hemmed in by that at this particular juncture either. So that's true. Uh, we have been getting minor, minor financial help via our Gumroad site which is great. The people who have downloaded the video episodes or just thrown us a dollar as a one-time payment. Awesome. That link is in the show notes, just so you know, everyone. That's but much appreciated. It is. It is. Hey, it ain't paying the bills by any means. But no, but man, any Elvis's doggy bills don't get paid by good wishes and hopes. We, that's, that's true. All goes to keep the king up and running. And buying more scarves. Buying yes. more scarves. Now, what I will say is that something did intrigue me with the Patreon meeting. Really? Watch-alongs. Apparently, it's more than just like, like they have the data of saying which bonus content like has performed best with podcasters, especially like recap or movie reviews or television reviews. And that would be like 
questions from the audience, which we answer almost every episode. Don't hold us to it, people, but most episodes we get to answer a question. But like a question block, so like five or six questions is like a 20-minute episode. Mm-hmm. And like I said, watch alongs. So like live commentary or just like, you know, in the room with the chat group, kind of like uh, the Greatest Jet Live show, right? Like people sure. are all chatting up a storm, but behind the paywall. So I think that since we do not have a Patreon at this point, and we are doing fine, at least on this day, right now as we're recording, doing our thing, proving our worth to people, we're fine there. I do think I will do an A-B test versus what we're doing here in Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure and another podcast known as Vanderpump Rob's. Because Vanderpump Rob's has now been established and proven its worth. I've just been doing it for fun. And if people like it, they like it. I think I might be able to start this uh, Patreon thing over there. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe if I do, it's already up and running by the time this episode comes out. You know, if you do, what I can guarantee is that will be worth it because you put out a great show with Vanderpump Rob's. And I'm not just saying that because you let me guest star on one episode. Highest downloaded episode. Yes, I'm sure it is by me and my entire family if I told them to do it. But no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that at all. No, 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 no. No. Who is this Stasi person? (laughs) Tune into Vanderpump Rob's on Patreon and find out. Yeah. But no, I think it's kind of cool. I'll take the meeting. You always take the meeting. Always take the meeting. And it might inform what we do in the future. But as of now, I I like the wave that we are uh, riding. Me too. Bill and Rob's. Options are good. I like being out there just old school style. Tune in, listen, and if you like it, let us know one way or the other. Yep. Should we get into today's episode? I think so, because this is going to be a fantastic episode. So fantastic. Incredible, even. But that's for a different franchise. This one is strictly fantastic. The first segment of today's show, as everyone knows, we're three episodes in. Origin Story. Origin Story is where we give a quick background synopsis of the movie that we're watching so that everybody knows if you haven't seen it, then you'll have an idea where we're going with it. And this week, we are taking a look at the 1994 version of The Fantastic Four. Now, Robs, this is a movie that a lot of people still don't know exists undertaking to find it It used to be at least in the old days now it's out there but it's It's out there and it's it's loving every minute of it it is indeed it is out there in space soaking up the cosmic rays of knowledge right about now but the funny thing is normally this is a thing where we do a segment where you made famous reading from the back of the box of the vhs case and only on this podcast does that ever happen and only on this podcast but in this case there is no vhs box because this movie was unreleased So couldn't get it in the stores, couldn't get it at Blockbuster. So I have made up my own origin story using the line from the movie poster and my own words. After being bombarded by cosmic rays during a space experiment gone wrong, four adventurers use their newly acquired superpowers to take on the world's deadliest villain before he destroys New York City. Part muscle, part elastic. Part fire, part invisible. Together, it's clobberin' time. 
Wow. Wow. Now, see, if I were to punch this up, Phil, which I know you've asked me to do, oh, every time. I would say a quarter muscle, quarter elastic. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that either, but that's actually what it said on the poster. That oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I was like, well, oh, maybe gonna... yours is the punch up because kind of this is not. We'll get into it, but uh, for one reason or another, this was a shell. This was hidden away from the eyes of all. At least that was the original plan. Now, Phil, let me ask you this before we start getting into the meat of this. You heard the news months ago about the Batgirl movie. Yes. Getting shelved. Yes. And that was a movie that was completed, had A-list actors... And they just decided they were going to take a loss and just not put the movie out. That feels similar, like kismet, like something's happening in the universe that that happened, and now we're reviewing this movie. But kind of, but it's not interesting because exactly. we decided to do this before that news came out. Yeah, it is weird that that happened, but I wouldn't draw that tight a parallel. This movie was shelved for completely different reasons. It came out of the gate shelved, which nobody knew that, but the people that had started it and the Batgirl movie was never planned to be shelved. That's True. just where it wound up. So, but they do have a through line of the studios being concerned that the product was going to hurt the brand if people saw it. So that's about as close to parallel as I would draw between these two instances. I mean, come on, Michael Keaton was going to reprise his role as Batman. Here's the thing. Michael Keaton was supposed to be in a couple of these movies and they both run into problems and I don't like it because normally I'm not a biggest fan of pulling back, you know, an actor 30 years or so past the part, but I was ready for this one and they have oh. just dangled this bat carrot in front of me and yanked it away in the cruelest way possible. So I don't yeah. know if we'll ever get to see it, Rob. I really don't. Well, I'll tell you this. I know we're doing pre-MCU Marvel movies, but if that Batgirl movie gets leaked, we are doing a bonus episode on it. 100%. I mean, Much really... like how this movie got leaked. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to, we can watch the 67 Batgirl pilot with Yvonne Also Craig. interested in watching that. <laughs> we will we'll bring on the guys from Piloting Era. Yeah, I think so. That would be great. I think right now the, the Fantastic Four shelled movie is more than enough to cover this particular a way of doing movie making and releasing. Let's get into it, Bill. Where would you like to start in our origin story segment? Cast and crew? Cast and crew. The writers of this movie are Craig Nevius and Kevin Rock. They had both minor credits before this. Nevius, you might know, he did a worked on black scorpion which was a kind of a sci-fi made for tv sort of thing mm -hmm. and rock had worked on howling four which falls into your horror genre and the philadelphia experiment two caught my eye because there's just some things that shouldn't have a sequel and the philadelphia experiment seems to be one of them but apparently he worked on it wow that's like uh the birds too yeah you know the birds had a sequel there's a Titanic too, but I mean, if we're going to go down this rabbit hole, we're we're going to be here all yeah, night. So we'll be. Let's let's stick with the number four instead. We'll stay away from the twos. <laughs> uh, the director of this, Ole Sassoon. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. Not sure. 
he'd worked on some stuff before this. He'd worked on uh, Hercules and Xena and Viper. But I, the big thing I found was before this, he was a music video director for some famous people. Gloria Stefan, Bruce Hornsby, Wang Chung, oh Eric God. Clapton, Autograph, Juice Newton, Mr. Mr. The Romantics. Kind of looking back into it now, maybe because the budget of the movie is probably the same as a four-minute music video was back in the day i can really see some parallels now that i know that i didn't know that till after i'd watched the movie so it does kind of show through that real minimalist take on things to be able to get the job done so well are you familiar with which mr mr music video Ola I directed was, i believe it was broken wing Perfect. I mean, it's, it's an incredible team so far, but it gets better. It does. Uh, the producers of this movie were Bern Eichinger, I believe is how you pronounce his name. But the name that really says it all is Roger Corman. Roger Corman was involved in this movie. And cult movie people will know Roger Corman, famous for B-movies, taking it to the limit with the least amount of money for the most amount of what he could get. You know, if he could use the same soundtrack 10 times or the same footage or crosscuts or anything he could do to get a movie made, he was the guy to do it. So, But even back then, you got to know that if you heard Roger Corman's name was attached to it, he wasn't like a Spielberg or a Lucas or something like that. It really would have set your tone down. That's where that runs. Cast-wise, Reed Richard, played by Alex Hyde-White. You know him from a lot of things if you see him. His Marvel cred that I found, he was once on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's pretty neat. Uh, Rebecca Stab, Susan Storm, she also a lot of credits. Now, you like Columbo, Rob, and she did act in one Columbo made-for-TV movie, Columbo Cries Wolf. So you get a Marvel Columbo crossover. What more could you ask? Well, let me just real quick. I was like, where do I know Rebecca Stobb from? Uh-huh. So I, I went to the Internet Movie Database, right? Sure. I wanted to figure out where it was. First, I was like, she was Debbie Carver in Home Improvement. I recognized her there. I was like, okay. Oh, but no, she's Jerry's girlfriend in the Pledge Drive episode of Seinfeld where Jerry throws away the greeting card. And she oh. And then I was like, Wait a second. She's on the episode of The Wonder Years where Kevin and the guy and Seth Green decide to paint the lady's house and she like totally cons them, but they're also like not sure how to get out of it because she's like a sexy teacher. In it. <laughs> and I remember being very awkward to watch with my parents. That'll do it. Um, and I was just so thrown by like all of these credits I had already known her in. And then, Bill, then a movie came up that I was like, I have not thought about this movie in years. Sandra Bullock, Tate Donovan. Oh, Love Potion number nine. Guarantee this movie did not age well, but <laughs> I remember watching that. Well, I think it's pretty neat that she's made an impact on you in two numbered movies. Exactly. Four, nine. Well done, Rebecca. Uh, moving on, we've got Jay Underwood as Johnny Storm. He's been in a lot of things, but I think, Rob, you might want to take this one as well because you have another story yeah. from your past involving Jay Underwood. 
Jay Underwood, I know best from the day my kid went punk, the ABC after school special, <laughs> which might be one of the best after school specials next to the one where Rob Lowe plays a baby daddy. They're both just so hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah. To live in the PSA universe would be an amazing thing. Maybe that's a whole series that we do. I, it's it's got to be. But then Michael Bailey Smith, Ben Graham. He's our fourth. Our fourth, our biggest fourth. Uh, also worked in a lot of things. The Hills Have Eyes, Buffy, Renegade. He'd been on there and he played a character Super Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. I'm sure you're probably familiar oh, yes. with, this, with this as well, Rob. Boy, they're just, they really rolled Rob's on this movie when they come up with these actors. It is incredible. And there's a ton more people in here. Joseph Culp. He played Dr. Doom in this movie, son of Robert Culp, one of my favorite actors. He also, at one point, had been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. later in Greatest American Hero. That's his superhero cred. Ian Trigger played the jeweler. This is his final credit on IMDb, so I guess Fantastic Four was his swan song for acting, but he'd had a long career dating back into the 60s and 50s. Cat Green is Alicia Masters. She's currently a producer in Hollywood. And Carl C.R. Fialo as the thing in the actual suit at certain points. He's a stuntman. Lists of credits, too long to mention, but I want to say his first credit is listed as being on BJ and the Bear. So I had to call that out because that is just one of the most amazing shows and all time. Loved it as a kid. My dad drove a truck like that. So anybody that's on BJ and the Bear is good in my book. And that rounds out pretty much the main cast of this movie. But there's a ton of other people, but there, it's pretty wild to watch them all in action. Oh, and especially in this movie, because as as we'll get through, like, this is what I think we thought all superhero movies would be. Maybe they would evolve into, like, the blades of the world, but a really, like, down to earth, something happens, here's the story. And it is the antithesis of what the MCU has become. It follows a comic book pacing, and growing up watching all the superhero stuff I could get my hand on as a kid... This was really, especially as far as movies went, we didn't get to see it, but it gives you what I had wanted up to this point, which was a movie that looks like the book I had read. Because as much as the Reb Brown Captain America movie and the Peter Horton Doctor Strange movies, it was great to see those. But inevitably, you wind up with a banker or a tycoon as the villain and no other super powered stuff going on in the background. It's fairly pedestrian. Just because that was the way it was. You could only do so much. And this movie kind of gives you everything off the comic book page you could want right out, yeah. of the, right out of the gate. It feels like on paper, this is a pretty good, well thought out. We give the comic book fans what they want in a comic book movie. Yeah. Execution could be a little bit better. But what Marvel movie ever couldn't have had a little bit better of a script? You know, all of them. There's always of things that work their way in. Same as reading the books. There's parts of the books that you just kind of skip over because you want to get to certain things. But sure. they just either had to fill some time in some spots or, you know, you've got to at least make a movie's worth of stuff. And if you're hamstrung by your budget or the time you're allotted for it, those can play into the thing. So, you know, there's a lot more that goes into a movie in the production, Rob, that you know than just the story and the cast and start the cameras. So yeah. this movie really 
it's one of the great shames of all superherodom, I think, when watching these things that this movie didn't get out because this movie gets a terrible rap. And I think it's because it was shelved. A lot of people who either don't know about it automatically go to, well, it was awful. I mean, it was just a straight awful. And it gets called that a lot. But I think unfairly because it's not. It's not awful. It's it is what it is. But it's sure. not awful. And I actually brought as a for our video watchers here. Ooh. Here's an artifact from my collection. This oh, is wow. Fantastic Four from 1979. Wow. This is 75 cents, Bill. King size annual 14. This is my favorite Fantastic Four comic that I own. I've read it so many times because in this, it is actually a second part of a story. It's not all self-contained and it's them fighting the Salem seven. And I love these things because this was also when stories could be more contained. You might get a two or three parter, but it would be in the same book. Sure. And in the nineties, you'll know I was there too, but you were growing up in it. And that's when they wanted to spread everything across a thousand titles. If you weren't collecting them all, you couldn't hardly follow a storyline back then. So yeah, the fantastic four and I go way back. And I remember I watched the second cartoon in the seventies. I knew who they all were. So I had a pretty fair amount of these books when I was growing up. So I have a good base for watching this movie. Before we go into the next section, Bill, can you at least lay out for people what happens in like two to three sentences in this movie? Because it's a little bit different than how your standard Fantastic Forward story lays out. It is. This movie takes us the early years with Reed and Dr. Doom as classmates, along with Ben Grimm, how they meet how they meet the storms, how the whole progression through their careers, the accident that takes Doom over the edge and makes him into a supervillain, how we get the Fantastic Four together, their powers. There is a subplot involving Ben's soon-to-be girlfriend, long time in the comic books, Alicia Masters, and an underground gnome and society of weird people who I have a very specific take on when we talk about them later. Who Great. He is the leader, the jeweler of this group is in love with Alicia, but he kidnaps her and there's a kind of a romantic slice hostage subplot and he crosses paths with doom. And then we get to the final conflict between everybody that comes down. So it's like, and love conquers all. Yeah. Yeah. The love thing kind of comes out of left field and lands like a brick and we'll get there everything. But that's the general gist of this movie, but it is an origin story in all things, but it's not an origin story where 99% of the movie is getting to the origin and the last 1% is, well, now let's do something. Saving the day now that we have a costume. Now, Bill, I think it's time to go to what's under the mask. This is actually kind of difficult because the Fantastic Four don't wear masks, but we're going to go with this bit anyway. (laughs) So this is the part where we discuss some fun, interesting, shocking trivia facts, anything that we've dug up about this movie that we find interesting that you might find interesting as well. So Rob, did you find anything interesting about this movie? Yes. I am going to start with the fact that The Thing and Dr. Doom, the most masked of the people on this show. I okay, you could say the jeweler, but I would say that's more low-fee makeup. Yeah. Uh, you can tell in every version of this movie you get that they have very muffled dialogue. And that's because the producers 
decided they did not want to pay the money to do any additional dialogue recording in post-production, which we can understand as we know this movie got shelved. And the decision was made because they didn't want to release the film. But I think that can come at the end when we talk more about the wrap-up of this movie. Sure. I think everyone knows why their voices are muffled when watching this movie. Very much. It's very clear. Yeah. The only other note I wrote, well, I wrote down a couple more. So, Bill, let's let's uh, ping-pong back and forth. What do you got for us? I found out that there are some names that auditioned for this movie that might seem kind of familiar. We're talking pre-MCU, but Mark Ruffalo, the MCU Bruce Banner, auditioned to play Doctor Doom in this wow. movie and didn't get the part. And there was also Patrick Warburton auditioned to play Ben Grimm, who is probably best known as Putty from Seinfeld, Elaine's long-suffering on-again, off-again, shirt-off, <laughs> Jersey devil makeup-wearing boyfriend. High five. Yeah, high five. And uh, uh, like Christian rock-loving. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And Renee O'Connor, you might remember her as Gabrielle from Xena. She auditioned to play Sue Storm. Whoa! So that would have been an interesting cast, especially with Ruffalo in there. That would have been yeah, a no weird kidding. mix. I think that would have bumped him out of the Hulk part all these years later. It's funny because you know how in the Marvel universe, there are different Earths that have different numbers based on the universe. Oh, yeah. This movie falls under Earth 9400. And I think that's because of 1994. Yeah, they're not real original when it comes to that part. And the only characters are the people from this movie. But if you could imagine if Mark Ruffalo just happened to be the only person who crossed from Earth 9400 into whatever the MCU Earth is. That would be great. Yeah. I think that's Earth 616. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Our quote unquote Earth is 616. Yeah. That that's. Crazy. Um, another one that I had is that Michael Bailey Smith, the actor playing Ben, also played, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, but he played Balthazar in Charmed, the television oh. series. He was a half-demon, half-human character. Smith played the demon half, and Julian McMahon played the human half. Oh. Man played Doctor Doom in the 2005 Fantastic Four oh, movie. Oh, that's right! Isn't that wild? That's ridiculous. That's cool. Yeah, it's so much fun. This is probably why uh, Under the Mask is one of my favorite segments of this se- second season. Man. All right. Well, I'll take my second, and this will be my my last bit, which is probably the neatest thing. And this is just recently. So, Chris Evans, of course, had played. Mm-hmm. Johnny Storm in the 2005 Fantastic Four movie, and he plays Captain America in the MCU. And they did an interview with him, and they asked him if he would still, you know, always do you want to come back and be Captain America again? Would you ever come back? He actually said that he would rather come back as Johnny Storm. Oh, wow! And Ren hit that character again, which I think is kind of amazing because yeah. it. It's like, oh, he's like, ah, I've done everything with Captain America, but I don't think I got to, you know, really get to pull those stops out with Johnny Storm. So you can imagine him as a older Johnny Storm, which makes me think about 
the last thing that I found out about this Fantastic Four movie, which apparently, and I, I'm going to say supposedly, I want this to be real. I want it to be real enough that I'm going to share it. Sure. That there might have been a script idea for this movie where at the end, the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, and Matt Salinger, Captain America, and the Bill Bixby, David Banner, and the Dolph Lundgren, Punisher, and Howard the Duck would team up with the Fantastic Four. Now, Please. I'm going to change supposedly to to not possible because I'm pretty sure that the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury movie happened after yeah. this movie was made. So I think that's just wishful thinking. But I just want to put it all in there and say, like, that would be great. This is why I think crossovers are fun and when you can bring them back in. I would love to see the Earth of Earth 94 come yeah. into this realm and do that. And I would hope this time they would spend more money on the thing's costume. Apparently most of the million dollar budget for this movie, only a million dollars, Rob in 94. That's nothing went to his costume. And every time I look at it, I'm like, yep, (laughs) he spent too much. Yep. Bill, the only other one I brought up is that, uh, the trailers did run. There were trailers of this movie, but the cast had to hire their own publicists with their own money to promote those trailers. Oh my God. Something doesn't seem right here. Let me tell you, it puts a new spin on things, and I think it really speaks to why we're doing this show, that here are these people who did this movie, and they put their own money into it, their own effort. They did everything they could to make something they thought was great, to the point where they're going to back it with their own cash, and it didn't get put out. So you can't just storm in and call it a bad movie if you've never heard of it before and you see that it wasn't released based on something like that this is where we say there's one thing to set out to make a bad movie and you get a bad movie this is clearly not the case with fantastic four these people were trying their best and they really believed in it i did my best they did my best uh they really did bill i mean like this it's it's just sad unfortunate it's unfortunate Yes, it very much is unfortunate. I can't imagine who would do that today. Can you, in today's environment, what actor would go to those extremes? In today's economy? Yeah. I can't believe it. Fortunately, Bill, we have another segment, and it's called Suda. This is where we discuss the look of the movie, especially the costumes, what succeeds and fails, what lives up to the comics? Or what falls a little bit short? What impressed you? What can't you forgive? Bill, where would you like to start? I'm going to start with the look of the movie. So there's only one thing that comes straight to mind is the costumes. Because every superhero movie that you watch, inevitably there's going to be that question in your mind of, they might show it to you in the trailer, if there is a trailer. But what are they going to do with the suits? Because a lot of people are, well, the suits are ridiculous, so you don't get them. Like in the first X-Men movie, you don't get the comic book suits and they actively make fun of them. If they do them, can they make them look so they don't look ridiculous? This movie, once again, clearly hamstrung on its budget. The quality leaves something to be desired. But this movie nails the look of these characters 100%. They are straight off the comic book page. These are the costumes the Fantastic Four is wearing in those books. This is Doctor Doom, green cape, metal armor, faceplate, the whole nine yards. The thing is a rocky-looking creature. I think he looks a little more like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but, you know, his suit is not made out of rock. It's made out of some kind of foam and 
fabric of some intent with rocks drawn on it. Are they the best? No, but you know exactly what you're looking at and they didn't shy away from it. They embraced it and they went right for it. So I give them credit for that. It looks like the fantastic four. Yeah. I mean, credit where credit is deserved. What I will say is that the costumes feel real. Exactly what you said, but I don't think they feel real for the world they're in because Dr. Doom's green It's like, oh, this is exactly like the comics. But it doesn't work, given the tableau of other colors around Dr. Doom. He's in like an isolated dungeon and somehow has bright green fabrics to use. And generally, if I remember correctly, the Fantastic Four have a lot of money in their family. At least Reed has made money on his science experiments, and they have a building they work out of that puts them in a elevated place. And I just don't understand in this movie why they would be choosing blue spandex. Yeah, the movie streamlines everything to the point where they don't explain a lot of things. There's no reason or rhyme to it. It's just Sue comes around the corner and she's like, I designed these suits and here you go. And because they look like the comic book, because of course they do. I think the movie probably would have gave this audience enough of a expectation of we're kind of going to assume you've read the book. Sure. And so you're just going to look and go, Oh, those are the suits. Of course, looking back on it now, these people look like they would be cosplaying at San Diego comic-con. Some people probably do cosplay this outfit. I'm sure they're out there. It looks homemade. It looks like something you made in your house. It's not space. And that's always, I think that the line that you have to run with superhero costumes, it's, got to be real but it's got to be fantastical no pun intended i give him credit for the look but yeah if you really wanted to say like when they come around and the gloves kind of look like dish gloves that they've just spray painted white it's like ooh. i don't even really have that much of a problem with them not looking where it's just weird that it doesn't fit within the story they're telling either like x-men made fun of the blue spandex or whatever on that movie but also, a leather jumpsuit in an X-Men movie doesn't quite fit the world, but at least there is some sort of like X-Force style. Like this one, it feels like Sue just had a project that weekend. She's like, look, matching outfits since we're a team, you know? Yeah. But they could have just as well been wearing hockey jerseys or something. Yeah, they could have been just wearing T-shirts with the number four on them. Yeah. What do you got next on your list here, Bill? I like that the fact that the movie gives us a lot of stuff granted some of it is matte paintings and pictures but you know what for a movie with no budget we get super duper science labs of certain kinds we get an underground world where the jeweler and his gang live that we see a sewer world we get to see the baxter building we get to see castle doom we get all these things that are in the comic and this is something that we don't always get and anything else, not even big budgets ones, you know, the 2005 Fantastic Four movie. We don't get to see Castle Doom. You know, yeah. we don't get to see Latveria. We don't get to see any of those things. And this movie gives us an entire comic book on the screen. So I give them props for that. You know, they kept my attention to see what was next. We even get the Fantastic card. It flies across the screen in about one second. You don't really see it. And I'm kind of sad that it's not a bathtub like in the cartoon. I'm like, well, if you're going to go cheap, you know, just give them the flying bathtub. But Apparently, we didn't get that either. So 
I applaud them for hitting their marks. You know, they're like, hey, the book's got these things in it. We got to give it to them somehow. And they do. So I appreciate that. Well, Bill, it can't all be roses and perfume. Ew. What's something that you didn't like in this one? The biggest letdown, of course, is the effects that go into this movie. I think it's one of those things where less is more. And if you've got no budget, you want to kind of try to hit real fast with whatever you're showing and move off so that you don't have a lot of time to look at it. Johnny's flame effects are unfinished. They're animated for the most part and look just the cheapest Sid and Marty Croft kind of <laughs> blue screen, green screen look you can get. Castle Doom's throne room is clearly just Doom sitting on a bucket with a big matte <laughs> painting from a Dungeons and Dragons book that they've animated some fire on. It's like they're just... They're not good. And it's amazing that they give us as much as they do. They give us a ton of superpower stuff yeah. to look at. Reed's superpower is just, you know, a hand on a stick for the most part coming in and out of frame. It'll snap when it pops you out. out of that limo, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it'll snap you out of it in a minute. Like I said, the thing looks like a mutant Ninja Turtle. It doesn't look like a rock. He looks like some kind of weird skin things. It's like when they're doing the thing looks like when the Ninja Turtles went live on tour with their band. Uh, maybe the SD videotape grainy quality <laughs> makes this a little easier to go down. So not great on that part. I agree with you on everything. And I do also agree with you, Bill, that like they give us a lot of fun stuff that works well. The sciencey stuff is fun. You know, the space stuff is kind of fun, like going up. I said this when we were talking about in Prey, like some future Predator movies that we would like to see throughout space and time. And I, I think I brought up a Predator movie filmed in the style of the Ten Commandments, right? With like big matte paintings, right. and blue screens and stuff. And when you see Castle Doom and it's a big math painting like that, as low budget as it is, it looks cool. I uh -huh. enjoyed seeing that, you know? Yeah. It just, if the whole aesthetic would have been something like that, that would be one thing. Right. But because there's a bunch of other failures that don't fit in with that look, it's quite another. I also went to the Academy Museum recently where you got to see like the Cobblepot Mansion model from batman Ooh, returns nice and it's like now that was incredible and something like that could have been castle bond too well it's also funny that you mentioned batman returns because the one other thing that doesn't work for me about this movie is the jeweler and his crew <laughs> i don't know why they felt this was necessary because this whole plot with him being in love with alicia and trying to capture her I didn't think about it until I'm watching. I'm like, why does this feel familiar? I don't know that they did this, but it is the same plot of the penguin and the red triangle gang from Batman returns from two years earlier. Yeah. It is so weird. This is a weird group of people. He's a weird little man. He gives these weird little motivational speeches. Penguin kidnaps the ice princess. He kidnaps Alicia. There's an underground struggle. He has to square off against another person, the jeweler doom penguin. Bat There's so many beats. It's like, they just like, copied it all to fill time and i think that he might be a stand-in for the mole man character in Probably. the fantastic four and either they didn't have the rights or they just didn't know what to do or they just had this character and yeah to, i don't know i man. think they just needed to fill some time in this movie because if you cut that part out this movie's only going to be about 50 minutes long and that's too short so 
I, I think I just used that as a way to kind of get Alicia in there and give them some more screen time and work something yeah. in. So if you could have cut that part out and done some more fantasticking, that would have yeah. been great. But as it is, at least it's amusing, but I could have lived without it. Totally. Well, Bill, one thing I can live with is the next segment, hero or villain. Which actors gave us super performances and which were dastardly? Bill, would you like to go first on the hero side of things? I would be glad to. My hero of this movie is a man named Chuck Buto, and he plays Weasel. And the Weasel. The Weasel. <laughs> now, see, now you're already getting me ready for the reboot with Polly Shore because that <laughs> would be incredible. He's the jeweler's henchman. And even though I've said I could have lived without the jeweler's whole subplot, this guy tears up everything he's in. He leans into this part and just goes, he goes past four, past 11. He goes past everything and just goes crazy on screen. He skeeves his way through all the parts. He has a weird way of talking like he's an animal. He is just a dedicated henchman. He laughs. He sings. He cries. He does whatever the jeweler asks. He even dies for no reason whatsoever on camera. He gets shot by Dr. Doom after he's standing there and everybody else runs away. And he looks around and just goes, nope. I don't think so. I got a fight and Doom just shoots him dead. And I'm just like, I felt bad for the guy. You gave it your all, man. And you just kind of go out like that. So he's my hero of the entire thing. The Everybody in there seems to be having a pretty good time. But the weasel is definitely the one having the biggest time on screen. Oh, yeah. Mine is similar. Mine is just the jeweler. <laughs> the jeweler. The jeweler is the hero because... You have to know if you're Ian Trigger and you are hired to play the jeweler in the Fantastic Four movie, <laughs> and then you read through the script, and then you start actually doing the movie, you know why you're in the movie. Bill, you just said it in the last second. Like, if we don't have a jeweler subplot, we don't have a whole movie. You also probably start realizing what type of movie you're making and the quality of it, and why not just go all out. The jeweler reminds me of the leprechaun in the leprechaun movie. Yes. Being able to go crank it up to 11, like you said, and just freaking go with it. And I feel like, well, more on this later, but the jeweler really, really takes it to where it needs to go for a comic book movie at this level. Yeah. Now it was a close second for me on this, Rob. So I think we're in total agreement. In terms of villain. Where did you land on that? So for villain, I landed on David Keith Miller as Tregoran. He is Dr. Doom's lead henchman. And every time he came on screen, all I could think of was he's really Boris Badenoff from Rocky and Bullwinkle. He has some kind of accent. I don't know what it is. It's <laughs> not Russian. I guess it's not even Latvian, even though we're not really sure what Latvian is. I think it's supposed to be kind of Romanian. He's doing Although the, he's from the United States. <laughs> he's doing the thing where we all just drag our words across whatever we're doing with the top of our tongue stuck to the they roof. They all of our went mouth. to college together, right? Yeah. He must have been an exchange student. Because in a movie that's cheap and low budget, 
but yet everybody's trying. Every time he rolled out this carnival barker weird <laughs> Friday the 13th, you know, series episode accent, it just blew me right out of the water. And I just was waiting for him to look at the screen and go, Moose and Squirrel. I couldn't take it. That's awesome. Bill, I'm going to get a little, little meta on us here for my villain. Oh. My villain is going to be Reed Richards. What? So first of all, I don't think there was like direct ill intent in this movie, and I'm not going to make light of it too much, but we did not need the backstory that Reed knew Sue Storm when she was like 15 years old or something. Oh, well, yeah, let's get into that. You know, we don't have to harp on it for too long, but I think it was poor writing to be like, ah, we need to make sure that these guys are like the older scientist types, but they also still somehow have a connection to the young, hip Sue and Johnny Storm. For some reason, in the first 20 minutes of the movie, they say that like Reed and Ben volunteer at like an orphanage. And we see that Sue Storm has a crush on Reed. And it's like, just not need it. They could have all just met at college and one is a grad student and one is not, you know? Yeah, so when we watched this movie, I watched it with my fiance, and we were both like, she's like, she's she's 12, and Reed is 22. And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, and I don't know why this is, but every Fantastic Four movie, everyone, and there have been four of these movies made, they do not know how to tell ages with anybody because Reed in this movie and Ben are clearly middle-aged men. They're, they're in their late 20s at best, if not at slightly best. older. Sue and Johnny are like six and 12. Yeah, no, none of this is good. And I don't know why it's not supposed to be quite that big an age gap. She should have been Rebecca stabbed the whole time. The kid angle, yeah. super creepy. And yeah, not a good look for Reed at all. It's not a good look for anyone who was writing this film. It was just weird. I mean, we Rob, we know there are people on set whose whole job is to do nothing but watch what happens and goes, I don't think that's a good idea. Are you seeing this? I don't yeah. think that's a good idea. And somebody surely needed to look at Alex Hyde White and the and the young actress, the young child actress playing Susan Storm and go like, you know, in the next scene, she's grown up and he's not. This No, this is bad. I don't care how much white you put in his hair. This isn't yeah. going to work. And it's also like makes me question the judgment of the team leader. Yeah. If this is a choice he makes. Real Dane Cook situation going on. But, <laughs> Bill, at least this movie never hid shelves. And maybe at the end of the day, with all of the things we're talking about, that we're like, effects weren't here, poor writing, poor decision making, this is uncomfortable. Maybe everyone was just like, we all know it's not coming out in theaters. Don't stress on it. It's just bad. Yeah, I think that might have been the case, at least for the higher-ups. I don't think anybody on the day staff was doing that. Uh, true. Ugh. Well, let's get through that segment and get into the next one, Bill. This one's called Splash Panel. Splash panel is where we pick out a moment in the movie that we would show to somebody, our friends or whoever, to get them to watch this movie, to get them excited about it. So, Rob, what splash panel would you show somebody to get them to watch the 1994 Fantastic Four? My runner-up is when Ben Grimm turns 
human from rock form because of love? Because it doesn't seem to make any sense. Now, please walk me through that real quick. What? I rewound it. And although this movie isn't the tightest of scripts, I thought like I was going to be able to connect it somehow. It was during the whole jeweler storyline, which we know was not the easiest one made. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know the Fantastic Four, their powers are reflections of their what they perceived as their greatest weaknesses. And Ben's is, you know, always thinking with his fists. So he's the one member of the team gets mutated into a big rock creature and stays that way. The others can turn their powers on and off. Ben can't. The comics is just filled with years and years of him coming to terms with this. So I remember watching this the first time I saw it. And yeah, Alicia's captured by dr doom he's gonna kill her and ben just gets upset and turns human again and then runs out in the alley and screams <laughs> and then turns back into the thing and i'm like wait what why why did and this doesn't he do it after she says she loves him or something yeah he admits he loves her he can't do anything about it he feels helpless so he turns back into ben Grimm, and you're just sitting there going all right why is there why? reasoning there i guess the reason is he's finally thinking with his heart and not his head or his hands and his fists. So he turns back into Ben, but we don't, it only lasts for like a minute. At That's best. why it's my runner around Phil. I think if I were to really show someone something, it would, unfortunately it would have to be the end of the movie because the wedding at the end tells you everything about this movie. <laughs> and when that arm of Mr. Fantastic waves out of that, sunroof of that limo i jokingly asked for one of these on hand for when i have my own wedding at what and this time as we're recording will be in a few weeks and i was told emphatically no that has not <laughs> happened nor are we going to get married with me in that costume like reed does for some reason someone at your wedding will be in that costume well what is your splash panel well my splash panel would be the second battle with dr doom you kind of don't always want to go straight for your big moment, but I think this one encapsulates the Fantastic Four right from the second where Ben says it's clobbering time and we get to see everybody start to use their powers a little bit. You would need that for this movie. You would need to show this a little bit to the audience or somebody and go check it out, man. You're going to see the Fantastic Four do their thing with absolutely no budget, put it to their effects. It's kind of, Somewhere between, you're going to get your comic fan who's going to watch it no matter what, but you're also going to be like, is this a Mel Brooks movie? And you might get that guy too. So you, you just got to give him a fight scene. This movie is a comic book. Show him the comic book part. Yeah. You got to. You got to. Phil, it's time for the Marvel Mailbag. Do you got any final thoughts on this film that we haven't already covered? My final thought on this movie is it's a great comic book movie. I really think it's a, a fun movie. I think it gets a bad rap. According to a lot of people, there's two sides to this story. Stan Lee says that the film was never intended to be released, and everybody knew that. Corman and that group say, no, we didn't know that. We were told we were making this movie, but Marvel decided it was going to hurt the brand if they saw it because... It is what it is. It was what then would be B, now what we would probably consider a D-list movie made by Roger Corman. And if they bought it and shelved it and destroyed all the negatives that were out there. And the, what we're watching is one lone VHS copy that got into the hands of fans. But I think it falls 
strongly into the time that it was made. If you really look at this, compare it to some of the things we've watched already, compare it to the Captain America TV movies, compare it to the Batman TV show, the Superman TV show. This thing is on par with any of those things. It's definitely on par with Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Oh, absolutely. And it's very, very faithful to the source material. It gets right to work. You know, it doesn't waste any time. We get to see everything. And this movie isn't super long and doesn't feel super long. It's a tight thing. Like if they showed us to this on a Saturday morning, when we were kids, we'd have ate it up. Oh yeah. And it falls right into that. I mean, it's, I dare say, you know, it's got more budget than a power Rangers episode. And that stuff went on for a million years. So God, that's up on what a genius. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Hey, Roger Corman was reusing material too. So a song that was in the trailer of this movie. Yeah. I, so when you look back, I, and I watched the 2005 Fantastic Four movie after this, just because I kind of wanted to compare and contrast sure. to see. It's made by the same group, the, the Constantine Films that owned this movie when it was there. They were responsible for these other movies, too. And honestly, I think it's it's better in a lot of ways than that movie. But I think we'll save that for our next day. But I would say if you're a comic book fan especially if you're a Fantastic Four fan. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it. It's a good, interesting watch. It's a time capsule. And I think these actors and these people worked real hard. So yeah. give them their due and give it a watch. Well, Bill, I agree with everything you say. I definitely think it's important to realize that just because you work hard doesn't mean you necessarily are going to get what you want. And that's a tough lesson to learn. True. And I think everyone in this did learn that lesson because... What are you going to do? But at the end of the day, they made a good superhero movie. Because like you said before, what do we have before this? The Spider-Man TV show? Fun, sure, but it's him fighting a bunch of goons, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Captain America, like we've talked about, where in all of these movies where they end up fighting a banker or something, right? right? We at least have a super villain to match a superhero. It would be great for someone who loves Fantastic Four. It is great for someone who loves Fantastic Four. But it's really great for people like you and I, and dare I say, Bill, more me, who love finding obscure movies and TV. I had fun with this movie, even though there was a lot of things I didn't, quote, enjoy about it, you know? Sure. That's kind of like the whole premise of this freaking podcast absolutely and i think this leads us perfectly into how we're going to rate this movie now bill you've done this ingenious thing this season where it's uh called hammer time is it a worthy fantastic four movie does it honor the franchise does it lift you high when you watch it or does it drop you from great heights, some would say cosmic heights, to the ground screaming and running when you watch it, never to be seen again? Rob, what do you think? Is this film a worthy Fantastic Four movie? It's so tough because it is so poorly made. The bad parts about this movie are glaringly bad. Whether it be a weird fake diamond that shoots cosmic rays in one direction or another, 
It's remarkably flat on the bottom too. Yes. Perfectly positioned to sit on that tray. Yeah, good for them. And then being able to have a jeweler who can make a fake one. But all of that said, I have to echo what you said earlier, Bill. It is exactly like an 70s or 80s Fantastic Four comic book. Exactly. The story is silly, but it is a story that is told where the team battles the villains and then they battle the hiccup before the villain. And although that may not translate to film, it does the Fantastic Four justice. So this raises the hammer. Nice. How about Glad you? to hear it. This movie actually cemented something for me thinking about it, because like you, sometimes we struggle about what we want to say, good or bad. And I've realized it comes down to you can have a good story and a bad movie, a good movie and a bad story. The two are dissimilar and they can mess with your perception of things. If they're both bad, they're bad. And I think that's what this movie falls into. It crystallized it that this is for me a very worthy Fantastic Four movie. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, I think of the four movies that have been made, this is the best representation of the Fantastic Four that's ever been put to film. It is not the best wow. quality. It's not the best production. It can't be. There's just no way. But if you strip it all down to what it is, it's a tight story. It's a story told in the comics. The Fantastic Four are known as the first family of the Marvel Universe because they are a family. And you see that on screen. That dynamic is there. It carries through the movie. Watching the 2005 movie, that movie's a slow burn with a lot of a lot more angst and a lot more contemporary snipping and sniping and some weird love triangles. And none of that stuff is in here. This is a straight up, this is how we got here. And the movie doesn't spend all its time getting there. It spends about half of it getting there. And the rest of it is using your powers to do things to save the day. And that's what I want out of these movies. So even the actors, we know the effects are bad, but when you watch them on screen, they're excited to do what they're doing. They're really selling it with their expressions, with their voices. Yeah, the dialogue's not always great and whatever, but you know, we get tons of henchmen and locations and stuff that we don't get in those other movies. So if you really want to know what the Fantastic Four is about, this is the movie to watch. And you know, it is fun. It's low rent fun. It it is what it is. And I think in that sense, it kind of it makes the whole thing work in a way no one intended it to work at all. Whatever the case may be, I'm sure this was just to save the rights and they needed to do something. But and I understand not damaging a brand, sure. you know, that can be done. We've discussed that earlier. But I don't think this movie would have damaged the brand in that way. I think it might have been tough to make a big budget one later. Because sure. it scares Hollywood off. But I'll tell you, Rob, I remember this poster in the theater. I remember seeing it's a good poster. And I wanted to see this movie. And I'm glad it is. And I'm glad people can see it now because they worked hard. Uh, they did a good job. So this is definitely one of those movies that I'm like, you know, hey, don't grade it on that kind of stuff. Don't grade it on it's on the money and the budget. Grade it on the heart. And in this one, this movie, it gets four stars for heart. Dang, so it lifts the hammer? It lifts the hammer four times high. Wow. Graded on the horn. When you're watching the 
Oh, we can't, we can't afford the rights for that. Huh. Oh, no. Well, people have already heard my cover song for To Match a Predator, so... Well, that's it. We're going to collect these all in, in a KTEL-like volume that you will be able to buy on gumroad.com. <laughs> Just let us know in the Discord. Link in the show description. Bill, there's one last thing to do on today's episode. What's that? we got to answer a little listener mail. Now, nice. this one's a bit of a thinker. So what we're going to do, so I'm going to read the question. We're going to do the Wayne's World doodly doots. Then we're going to come back and give our answers. Has this mail been forwarded from anywhere? Oh, Lord. Yes, it's from Ms. Bowser in the Discord. Oh. Who would you pick for the Fantastic Four? Wow. Oh, man. Not just the Fantastic Four, Bill. No. The Fantastic Four, Dr. Doom, and Namor. <laughs> we got to pick Prince Namor, too? Wow. Of course. The first mutant. Wow. Uh, so, Bill and I are going to put our heads together. We're going to come back on this. And you will, audience, you will have known no difference. But we're going to think about this for a moment. Okay, so should we start with Dr. Reed Richards? Sure. I thought that there couldn't, there could be plenty of people. But I was like, who? Have I seen lately? And I've been driving by a big movie poster here in La La Land. And uh, I feel like Ethan Hawke would make a good Reed Richards. Ooh, that would be a good pick. How about you? I was thinking more Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDreamy? Yeah, yeah. I think you put some skunk stripes in his hair and he pulls off a nice Reed Richards. He's got that kind of smart, scientist-y look. Got a good look for a, a wiry sort of elastic. Hey, you know, gotta tell me, man. I've watched it. I know that dude. Yeah, I'm going with that. Who should we go with next? Uh, let's go with Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm. Who would you choose? I would choose Lucas Till. Lucas Till. Yeah, Lucas Till, who the most recent thing anybody might know is he played the new MacGyver. Oh, that Lucas too. I'm going along the lines of trying to think of them as being because the Fantastic Four has been around a little while, so mm -hmm. I think they would be a little bit older than maybe your standard Marvel characters. So, kind of looking for you know a Reed in his 50s, a Johnny in his 30s, sort of trying to kind of keep it in a realistic time frame to where they might be older members Gosh. of this universe. So. Plus, I think he would, he would cut the cut the mustard as a Johnny Storm. He he could do the hothead, kind of good looking roguish guy sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I think my Johnny Storm would be Carl Tart. Now, Bill, if you're not familiar with Carl Tart, Carl Tart is a an actor. He's been on television, but what I know Carl Tart from mostly is podcast world. He might be one of the funniest people I have ever heard guest on Comedy Bang Bang, The Flagrant Ones, Carl Calls His Cousin, XOXO, Gossip Kings. Like, the dude is funny. He's been on Grand Crew as of lately as his main television role. But I just think we need a, a quick, funny person. Like, that's the biggest thing about Johnny Storm is he's quick-witted and he's funny and... 
that I think would be perfect for a Carl Tart. Nice. Yeah. Who's next on the list? Who would you pick for Sue Storm, Robs? Now call this predator bias, but I think Amber Mythunder would be a cool Sue Storm. She blew me Whoa. away in prey. Blew me away in prey. And so I think that would be fun for a fantastic four. How about you? I was thinking Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Kate Ooh. Hudson, I think, would be a nice pairing with Dylan McDermott. Plus, wow. Also plays into this thing where I'm going with, like, you know, a more established, more uh, mature cast. Mature. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I am keeping the relationships out of my four. Like that storyline when Spider-Man, some, for some reason, joins the Fantastic Four. Oh, so you're going to do like, we're taking the summer off and all the guest editors and writers are taking over the bullpen type of thing. I yep. see where you're going. Yep. Who would be your Ben then? Ben Grimm. My Ben Grimm? I need somebody who is going to be able to carry the load strength-wise, but has a bit of a rough side, but also a sense of humor. And I really gravitate towards John Cena. I know he played the Peacemaker oh, lately. Wow. But I think he would be a really neat Ben Grimm, especially if you work in that thing where he has to transform back and forth. That's a pretty good one. I went a different route, but for the same reasons, Oliver Platt. Whoa. Wouldn't he be an incredible Ben Grimm? Oh, my God. That's, that's inspired. I think I almost was Nathan Lane just because I thought <laughs> that. Oh, wow. Well, who would be? Well, I guess it's my turn. Dr. Doom, now call me crazy, but I think John Taffer would make a great Dr. Doom. John Taffer from Far Rescue. Oh, yeah. Shut it down! Jesus. Wow. Okay. You're going to kill somebody! Yeah. I'm going to kill somebody. I'm Dr. Doom. All right. This took a turn. So, yeah. Oh, my serious casting starting to look pretty boring right about now. <laughs> my Lord. I would just counter that with Gordon Ramsay then. Oh, damn. That'd be a good Doom. Well, I mean, he's kind of a Dr. Doom already. Oh, hey, so, I'm ready. He's got the attitude to pull it off. So I'll put him up against your John Taffer. Okay, okay, okay. And finally, Namor. Who's your Namor? So I would like to see if John Stamos would sign on to play Prince Namor. Bill, you're blowing me away. Because oh, yeah? Who I put down? No. Rob Lowe. No. And you know how Rob Lowe's son, every Father's Day, posts like, I love my dad, and it's a picture of John Stamos. Yes, I do. I do indeed. And I know they're friends. And Lowe, I just, I can't get through an episode of Literally without him talking about surfing. So I was like, no, he's a perfect, he, the man never ages. He'd be a perfect Namor. He would. He would. He'd look good flying. Either one of them flying out of the surf. Well, Bill, this episode's gone on long enough. We got to bring the people home. And the biggest, why don't you tell everyone all of the things they should do? And then I'll read the credits. The biggest thing everybody can do, please share the show with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Let them know we're out there. That helps us grow. That gets more people involved. We know that our immediate fan base, we don't have fans. We have friends. So the group of you can't carry the load on your own. And just let everybody know we're out there. Tweet. Use your social media accounts if you have them. If you want to do a letter writing campaign to your neighborhood, you want to make some flyers and put them all over cars, 
We will support anything that you want to do with if that. If you've got a blog, write about it in the blog. If you need us to guest on your podcast, we just are trying to find new audience. Yeah, we'd love to do stuff like that because we want to help promote the people that helped us and we will help in the future. So anything that's in the free realm would be awesome. You can join our Discord, talk about the show on there. You can give us ideas, tell us about things you like. Rob and I always love to hear the feedback from everybody out there. We're having fun with this. We want to hear if you're having fun with it too and how we can have even more fun with it. You can go to our Gumroad account. Links are in the show descriptions where you can make a one-time donation. You can throw a bucket at this show. Anything that you like. Every little bit helps us out. Like we've said, we are not a subscription service. We put the stuff out there if you like it and you want to reward us. That's awesome. We give it to you first and you let us know. You can call the Adventure Line and leave us a voicemail. What's the number for that Adventure Line, Rob? And adventure line is 213-545-6176. Yeah, and that phone is located under a giant flat-bottom diamond in a glass pedestal that when it rings, lightning shoots out of it and may or may not give you cosmic powers. But the only one we'll know is Rob because he has to run into that lightning field every time to pick up that phone. But I am saved by the power of love. That's true. So the links to all these things are in our show description basically just get the word out and help us let people know about the show that would be awesome absolutely couldn't have said it better myself phil and now the final thing are the thank yous thank you mrs colombo for listening to these episodes and making sure that they can be as fantastic as they are sometimes we have to re-record our love scenes with ben Grimm, and it's it's not pretty but you know we turn no. back into stone and have to go back into the studio i want to thank jothan for creating our fantastic show art. It's called Tile Art in the Biz. Got to thank Patrick for helping us edit these episodes. And of course, Draxium and Dr. Z for the fantastic theme song and interstitials you've been hearing throughout every episode. Bill, another great episode next week. I can't wait for more of this show with you, Robs. All right, Bill, I will see you later. See you later, Robs. Pumpkin Spice Podcast is back to talk about some of the spookiest movies out there. But this time, they aren't covering franchises. They're taking bus tickets to new cities to explore the horror happening all over the globe. So tune in to Pumpkin Spice Podcast, a bridge burner podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out now. It's Pumpkin Spice Podcast. <laughs>